1: our health system is built around sick care and not about actual health care, right? Keeping people healthy and prevention and really Could not trying agree to, more. <laughs> Really <laughs> trying to shift that focus. Feel free to put that on my shoulders. I'm like, that is what I am here for. And that is my life goal is to improve our health care system. Holistic Voice presents the Food Heals podcast with your hosts, Allison Melody and Susie Hardy. Join the Food Heals nation and learn the secrets to go from feeling unwell to healing yourself. Warning, side effects of this podcast may include increased health and vitality, thoughts of living longer, an increase in sexual activity, feelings of joy, cravings for kale and quinoa, and a spike in Tinder matches. In rare cases, people have experienced a strong desire to put down the Ben and Jerry's, get off the couch and take a walk outside. If you experience any of these symptoms, tell your Facebook friends immediately.
0: All right. Welcome, Food Heals Nation. Thanks for joining us. I'm Allison Melody. Today, I'm chatting with healthcare administration expert and innovator, Megan Nekrobecki. Megan is the founder and CEO of Healthcare Transformation the first-of-its-kind boutique population health company that is empowering employers, healthcare providers, and individuals to improve health and reduce healthcare costs. So important, Food Heals Nation. But before we get to my interview with Megan, I have to tell you about Italy. (laughs) Italy. For those of you who listen a lot, you knew. That's what I was going to talk about. And if you're not coming already, why haven't you joined? It is our second annual Food Heals Vegan Italian Getaway. It is a retreat like no other. Every morning, we wake up to sweeping, gorgeous views of the Amalfi Coast. We swim, we dine, we eat, we hang out, we play, we go shopping, we lay by an infinity pool, we go on boats, we go to islands it is heaven on earth. We eat really good plant-powered food. We go with vegan chef Leslie Durso, who basically teaches us not only how to cook, but also how to order um, the best food in Italy. And oh, I just can't tell you how good the food is. You have to go to experience it. Um, We took lots of food pictures. If you go to Instagram and search for Food Heal's retreat or hashtag Food Heals Italy and you can find those pictures. We also have our Italy episode. You can go back and listen to all the women talking about our trip. We'll do a live podcast from Italy. So if you come on the trip, you're going to be featured on the Food Heals podcast as well. If you want to, not everyone participated, but you're welcome to. It's so much fun. We would love to have you. It is a retreat. It's very active, but there's also time for relaxation. So it's a getaway. It's bonding with sisters, like-minded people, In the wellness world, who just, you know, want to live their best, healthiest lives while having a blast. We drink plenty of wine, don't worry. So if you want to join us, you know what to do. Go to foodhealsnation.com, click on Italy. You can download our brochure. You can see the pricing, which includes almost everything. You are responsible for your flights and your alcohol. Almost everything else is included. We don't include a couple of lunches in case you're just walking around and want to get something to eat. But your breakfasts and dinners, all of the excursions and adventures, your transportation to and from the airport, your villa stay, all of that all included. I would love to have you. If you have any questions, just email me at info at foodhealsnation.com. Next up, my interview with Megan.
1: The Food Heals Podcast starts now.
0: Megan is the author of My Healthcare Transformation Handbook. It's a robust workbook filled with expertise and guidance needed to optimally navigate the U.S. healthcare system and manage one's care. And I have to say, it's a gorgeous Tiffany Blue. (laughs) I'm obsessed with it. Please welcome today's guest. Megan Necrebecki. Yeah. Hi, Allie. Thank you. (laughs) So glad to have you. And cheers. Hello, Melissa. Thanks for introducing us. Melissa is one of my favorite people, my
1: plant powered assistant. Yeah. No, Melissa's fantastic. So I'm so glad that she introduced us. Yes. Fork and (laughs) Plants, Instagram, follow her now.
0: So And you're amazing. So, Megan, for anyone listening right now, please tell Food Heals Nation a little bit
1: about who you are and what you do. Yeah, of course. So, again, my name is Megan Neckerbecki, and I'm the founder and CEO of Healthcare Transformation. Uh, We are a company that is working to improve health outcomes and reduce healthcare costs across the U.S. And we do so through using video content and programming to help empower people on how to achieve their optimal physical and mental health and how to navigate the U.S. healthcare system. First of all, so needed.
0: (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) I mean, it's like we were talking earlier, and like so many people
1: that we know don't have access to healthcare right now. And that's a travesty. Mm-hmm. And even those who do have healthcare, it's very complex. It's confusing. And honestly, a lot of people end up feeling overwhelmed and making poor decisions or it ends up costing them more money because it is so complex. And it's bankrupting families. Mm-hmm. It is. And that's how are we OK with this? Why are we putting up with this as a society? I know. I know. Hopefully there'll be a lot of changes coming. And there's a lot of people out there like me who realize that there are are issues in the healthcare system, and we're working to to fix those for people, so.
0: Well, thank you for being on the forefront of making those changes happen. Of course. So take us back and tell us about like, how did you come to the conclusion that this is an issue and how did you realize that you were able to start a company that was able to solve this?
1: Yeah, so I'll start sort of back at the the beginning of me entering healthcare. So I've always been really passionate about healthcare and I ultimately was pre-med in college back in Wisconsin. And then I went straight to Johns Hopkins to earn my master's in public health. And while I was there, the Affordable Care Act was getting passed and I was taking all of these classes about health policy and our health insurance system and healthcare in the US, how it's so costly, not everyone has insurance, we actually have really poor health outcomes, and it really made me realize I'm a systems thinker and I really want to fix the system and not just be another cog in the wheel. So. I ended up not going to medical school and started working in the system to help improve health outcomes and reduce healthcare costs. And so I worked in a lot of different sort of spheres of healthcare. So started with a health insurance carrier and this was out east. And then I worked at a population health startup. I did healthcare consulting across the US, ultimately was recruited out to LA to work for the UCLA Health System. But throughout all those experiences, it just gave me so much insight into how all the different pieces of the system work and really that we're letting down people, right? And I'm like, there's a huge opportunity here to help individuals understand how to navigate the system for themselves, advocate for themselves because the system's very broken and it's tough to navigate but also made me realize that here in the US, there's a huge opportunity to improve health in the first place so that they don't end up having to be a part of the broken healthcare system, right? So there's a lot of disease that's sort of caused by our way of life, right? And so there's an opportunity to improve our physical and mental health in order to stay happy and healthy and stay out of the healthcare system. And so realized that there was a huge opportunity here to help empower people um, and work with companies and other organizations to empower the people, especially using video content because there's not very much video content being utilized in healthcare today.
0: So I love what you're doing, Megan. And I know that for me, when I was dealing with both of my parents in North Carolina, having cancer, being faced with only a few options and all of them very expensive, and there was no information. First of all, it was very expensive for exactly what they wanted to do. This was the only protocol. There were no other options. And so we were left with, I mean, at the time, we had health insurance. But it runs out really quickly. Yeah. Where can we start is what I want to know.
1: Yeah, no, I'm really sorry that you had to go through that. And I know a ton of people out there feel that pain as well. And oh, I'm not there. alone. Yeah, I'm like, ugh. But yeah, you know, I think one of the major problems in the US is the price of healthcare. Typically, there's a lack of price transparency around what things cost. But so I think that's a huge opportunity, right, for us to begin with is just gaining more transparency into pricing and having an ability to assess where you can seek care for higher quality for lower price. I think Right now, there's also issues with just understanding where is high-quality care, right? right? And what is considered high-quality. And so a lot of experts in the healthcare field are working in both of these these arenas. But I'm so sorry you had to go through that.
0: I mean, I feel like at this point, my story is a dime a dozen because I know so many people who have gone through this. And the fact that we even had time that we were able to afford it is a blessing because of the way that systemically our society is set up People can't even afford to start treatment half the time. Yeah. So what is the systemic problem that exists and how can we solve it? Or how are you guys working to solve it? I don't want to put the world on your shoulders. <laughs> yeah. I don't mean to, but I'm just like, these are big questions because we have to figure it out. Otherwise, people are going
1: to continue to die let's be frank about it. Let's tell the truth. It's true. Yeah, there is plenty of people where there's care out there that they're not able to access or afford. And I would say kind of thinking globally and feel free to put that on my shoulders. I'm like, (laughs) that is what I am here for. And that is my life goal is to improve our healthcare system. But I would say there's a few different major kind of systemic problems in the US, right? So The first is just lacking universal health insurance coverage. Um, I think that's the first and foremost major problem, right? Is this, um, we have sort of a hodgepodge system built out of, have Medicaid for low income, we have Medicare for the elderly, we have employer-based insurance. And in the end, this hodgepodge system leaves people out, right? And so, and then those people who don't have health insurance ultimately aren't going to seek the care that they need to and then end up utilizing even more expensive care, right? An example that I typically tell folks is I have a friend who's a nurse who told me a story about an individual who she had um, genetically she would get kidney stones and getting rid of those would be a simple outpatient procedure But unfortunately, she didn't go get that taken care of, and she ended up coding in the hospital. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. And she was there for weeks. And so imagine, typically, I tell folks that one day in the hospital is about $10,000, right? And so you can imagine she spent probably... We've probably spent almost a million dollars keeping her alive for what could have been a simple outpatient procedure had she had insurance and access and could afford that, right? So I think that's one of the major problems is just this concept of making sure that everyone gets insured. But then also a major problem, like I spoke to before, is just the really high pricing with lack of transparency around what that pricing is. And then ultimately the wrong financial incentives in the system, right? So right now our health systems and ultimately the clinicians are incentivized to do more, Mm -hmm. right? And Mm -hmm. so it's more procedures, it's more surgeries, it's more days in the hospital, things like that are typically what they're financially incentivized to do and not necessarily on providing high quality care, preventative care, focusing on health improvement. Again, I also started Healthcare Transformation and specifically for the body is a perfect example where when I was working in the health system, you can imagine greater than 70% of the U.S. population is overweight or obese, right? And so as these patients were coming through the doors into the clinics, you know, we would mark them as saying hey this patient is coming in they need some support right and their options for the patients were sending them to bariatric surgery sending them to clinical dietitians and there was nothing sort of around lifestyle Mm -hmm. coaching and healthy habit creation and so that was one of the reasons too that we started for the body and specifically our six-week wellness transformation program because we really needed to support these patients in living healthier lives and ultimately the health systems are not incentivized to do that for patients. Even many of our doctors don't even get training in nutrition. So
0: this is how I feel. I think that the doctors who know don't care and the doctors who care don't know. If a doctor knows better, they are going to those incentives and going, well, I can make more money by keeping my patient here, giving them more surgeries, giving them more medications because they get kickbacks for prescribing medications and therefore the longer the patient is on the medication the more money they can make that supports the theory if they if they know they don't care and then there's the theory that if they care they don't know. So there is a lot of caring doctors out there, but they were never schooled in nutrition. Mm -hmm. They have no idea what studies are showing about cancer and the ways that we can actually prevent and reverse disease. And if they knew, and a lot of them are waking up and finding out and then changing their practices, but if they understood that, then they would change their practice. And so that's why I said what I said, because I don't want to fault all doctors, because I know that many doctors are doing the best that they can with the knowledge that they have. Mm -hmm. I would never say that they are doing something wrong or evil or bad because they don't know. Mm -hmm. But then the ones that know, (laughs) I actually do think are, you know, choosing money over their patient's health. And that is what disgusts me. And it's not every
1: doctor, it's a select few. Yeah,
0: But there's enough of them that are monetizing
1: our health. Yeah. And honestly, I think a huge opportunity is even helping... Clinicians, whether that's the doctors or the nurses or the staff that work in the clinics, is helping them feel empowered with this knowledge on how to take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, and so even as we've been promoting the six-week wellness transformation program, so many people have said, you know, you should send this to the doctors themselves to right. <laughs> yeah. get them enrolled in the program. <laughs> but it's true because they're overworked; they have a ton on their plate. They're being asked to do more and do more and see more patients, and so that gets back to those financial incentives, right? Where it's these volumes of need you to see more patients and more patients and so they don't have time even if they want to they don't necessarily have the time or the abilities and honestly a lot of times they should be practicing top of license and it should be someone else who's like a lifestyle health and wellness coach who's helping stay with these patients, advocate for them, hold them accountable when they need it, things like that.
0: Look, we have to take our health into our own hands, but it takes a team Mm -hmm. to help you. A doctor only has limited time to work with you. And so if they have a plethora of people that can also help you as well stay on that path, that is the ultimate path to health and wellness because there are specialists in all kinds of areas and we can't just treat the symptoms anymore. Mm -hmm. We have to treat the whole person.
1: Yes, and you know what we talk about a lot of times is that our health system is built around sick care and not about actual health care, right? Keeping people healthy and prevention and things like that. So really could not agree to, more. <laughs> really trying to shift that focus. Okay, so tell us about the six-week transformation. Oh yeah, sure. So we're really proud of this program. We have our head kind of wellness and life coach, Kelsey Vetter, who's leading up the program. But it's a six-week wellness transformation program. It was built around this concept of for individuals who really need to learn how to manage their physical health, especially in modern society, it's incredibly difficult. I almost feel like it's a battle to be healthy nowadays, right, with how our food system is and we live in suburbs and we drive everywhere and all these different things that really have an effect on our health. We sit all day at our desks. And so really what the wellness program is about is giving people, really simplifying it and giving them the tools that they need in order to achieve success, however that looks like to them right? So it's not necessarily like, hey, we're a weight loss program. It's more like, what are your health goals and how can we help you achieve those? And the program is entirely online so that people can do it in between their busy (laughs) (laughs) schedule. Exactly. But every single week they get a video and a toolkit and then they get 100% access to the wellness coach so that they can get feedback on their toolkits and then get support along the way week one we start with doing kind of a overarching look at how our health is currently what is our baseline and what are our goals and then we step right into nutrition so we go over understanding calories and calorie awareness so it's not about counting it's about awareness right of how many calories we take in when we eat at a restaurant and things like that you'd be surprised most folks are very surprised at how many calories are in certain <laughs> foods but then we also also go into food quality, so understanding ingredients and packaging and things like that. And then we do meal prep. We're firm believers in that preparation is key in order to lead in a successful, healthy life. So we go into meal prep, we go into fitness prep, and then we talk about sustainability over time and creating healthy habits.
0: I just want to say that when you got here, you told me this was your first podcast. And I'm like, you're amazing. <laughs> thanks like you've got it all down like I completely understand what you do it's not a struggle to pull it out of you you've got all your, you know exactly what to say like you're just brilliant Good job.
1: Aww, thank you <laughs> no I would say that's one of the things that I'm very passionate about too and sort of how I created healthcare transformation is that I love taking very complex things and simplifying them so that yes. anyone can understand and engage and healthcare and health in and of itself is very complex. And so I'm all about kind of how do we take these things and simplify them for folks?
0: Great! Oh my God. Let me tell you, now I come from a completely different perspective than I used to. But when I started on this journey, it was because I had to go to doctor's appointments with my mother and then my father. The speak that was spoken to us was so high level that we never understood what was truly going on. Like we would go home from an appointment and be like, all right, here's what I got out of that. And then it might be completely different from what the other person, like my dad got out of the appointment that was about my mom, then my mom got out of the appointment, then I got out of the appointment. Like it never was broken down for us in a way that made sense. And at that time, I was, you know, admittedly clueless about health, clueless about drugs, clueless about nutrition. So I had no baseline. And so I'm looking at the healthcare system from the perspective where I was when I knew nothing, and it is confusing, Mm -hmm. it is overwhelming. And what happens is you're there when someone that you love or yourself is going through something traumatic, And you don't know if they're going to make it. Mm -hmm. And so it's very hard to decipher the information that you're being told. And you're usually not being presented with a lot of options. That's exactly what happened to me. Now, obviously, I host the Food Hills podcast. So years (laughs) later, I consider myself quite informed. But for the people that aren't informed and have no other options, we are in a place of constant confusion, constant overwhelm. Constant sadness, I would say, is where I was, and so we've got to come to a place where healthcare is a place of joy. Like now, I find joy in eating my plant based meals. I find joy in taking my supplements, of mega dosing on my vitamin C, of exercising, of getting my sunshine. Because I know I love it. Yeah, because <laughs> they're in all- my language. <laughs> they're like contributing <laughs> factors to my health. But I didn't used to feel that way, and I did not know how good I could feel. I did not know for years how good I could feel. So talk to us about that.
1: Yeah, so I love exactly what you're saying because I feel very passionately about that as well. I'm all about sort of how can we eat healthy and exercise and I know that that drives my mood and my positivity and ultimately my productivity and things of that nature. So completely agree. And even in our six-week wellness program, we get feedback from people saying, my mood is so improved, I'm Sleeping better, all of yeah. these other things that feed into our health too. But, and to your point about the healthcare system being so confusing and overwhelming, that's one of the things too that. I don't want people to have to feel that way. Yeah. That's so unfair that especially when it comes to let's focus on our health and be healthy in the first place so that we don't have to utilize the healthcare system unnecessarily, right? Because there's so many diseases that are caused by how we eat and how we exercise, right? Diabetes, cardiovascular disease. Mm-hmm. We do have the ability to impact that. But then if we are utilizing the healthcare system, that's because you have some sort of illness and that you should be taken care of and getting advocated for and so that's one of the things that I've really been trying to advocate for within healthcare transformation by writing the Healthcare Transformation Handbook and creating these videos. I have free videos that are on social media through YouTube and Instagram and things like that, but even through the work that we're doing in the company to work with organizations so that they empower, whether it's their employees or patients, with this information. That's really our goal. So I'm a population health person um, at heart, and so I want to figure out how can I get this information simply and clearly to as many people as possible. And I truly think that by working with health systems and employers and other organizations that advocate for patients to get them the books, get them the videos, get them the things that they need, and even have components of us that can be there for people, right? So we have individuals in the company who advocate for patients when they need it, right? And so they're more than welcome to obviously engage in conversation with us about that ideally we want to be able to get the information out to everyone but where individuals do need individual support to navigate something for a family member we do do that as well
0: all right Let's talk about the handbook. Okay. <laughs> it is so pretty. <laughs> Good job, girl. <laughs> Thanks. <Exactly>. Healthcare <laughs> transformation branding. <laughs> Let's just say it appeals to women. <laughs> it does. Because it is
1: the color of a Tiffany blue box. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think when I built the handbook, I said I thought, you know, what is something I would want to take with me? Yeah, you know, yes. or my mom would want to take with me. Um, and so I really developed it from that standpoint too. So it is a pretty book.
0: (laughs) I am. I mean, I love it. I am a journal writer. I love writing in a beautiful journal. Yeah. I have lots of journals for different things, whether it's my gratitude, whether it's the things I want to manifest. I love it. I have so many journals. And sometimes people give me journals and that's great. If your journal is ugly, you're not going to write in it. (laughs) Okay. I would agree. It's just true. Yeah. You're just like, oh, I I'm love not pretty enough. journals. Yeah. <laughs> if my journal is black or like, actually, I do have one black journal. It's got gold oh. lettering. So it's beautiful. But if my journal is just, if I'm not feeling, I'm not going to use it. If this handbook was ugly and clinical looking, yeah. people weren't wouldn't use it. Yeah. But Megan created this <laughs> gorgeous handbook. And Vince, even our producer today, thought it was gorgeous, right, Vince? <laughs> it's beautiful.
1: It is beautiful.
0: It's so gorgeous. So tell us what we can find in the handbook and why we should keep it as part of our health
1: journey. Yeah, no. So and healthcare is a journey, right? And so even the book is developed from that standpoint. So there's different sections to the book, but overarching the goal of it was to take all of my healthcare expertise and put it down in writing, but then also guide people in their journey through healthcare. The first chapter is all about prevention, right? Because we talked about the importance of healthy eating and so it's physical health and mental health and how you set goals and incorporate that throughout your lifestyle So that's the first part of the book. Oh, and I should also add that there's clinical prevention in there as well. So also a lot of folks don't know what screenings they need when based on gender and age and things like that. So I also put that in the book. But then it goes into managing your clinical encounters with your doctors. So it gives you the opportunity to say, what questions do I need to ask them? Do I need to ask them about medications? One of the major questions that folks should really use when they interact with the healthcare system is how does this change the management of my care, Mm. right? How does this impact my care? How does it change the management of it? Because I can tell you, I'll tell you a a personal experience. I went into the doctor um, for stomach issues, and it was, we can do blood tests, and we can do ultrasound, and then we can do MRI. And so I asked her, I was like, does that change how you would give me care in the end? And she's like, no. <laughs> you know, so I'm like, oh, so I would spend thousands of dollars yes. just to find out that there's really no impact here, right? Um, so I think that's a huge way that people can advocate for themselves in order to reduce their healthcare costs, but have better health outcomes. But so there's questions that kind of help guide you in your clinical encounters. It helps you document your medications, surgeries, if you're hospitalized, I put in all the information so that it will help you through the process of what happens when you get there, what happens, how do you prep for discharge when you're discharged, what needs to happen there, how do you do continuum of care out into the outpatient clinic, so it kind of educates people on what to do in that situation. If you have urgent issues, ER visits, and there's sections in there. And then there's an entire section on advanced care planning is a very important thing that I'm very passionate about because this is a whole nother topic, but our healthcare system currently is very aggressive at the end of life, right? And I don't think that most people know that Mm -hmm. going into it, that, you know, what is intubation? What are all of these things? And then what happens on the outset, right? You know, and so I think just being in the healthcare system, I really saw what we do to patients without having conversations with them prior, and whether or not they would actually want that. And so there's a whole entire section that helps individuals plan and have conversations and just really think about these things, which is very important for all of us, regardless of our age. And then there's an entire section on health insurance, everyone's favorite. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to educate you on what's co-insurance and out-of-pocket max and all that good stuff.
0: I mean, honestly, half the time, it depends on who's present at the time, which contributes to what your health insurances. Let's go back to end-of-life care because I know that I was extremely naive when my mom was going through end-of-life care, but at the same time, I was not informed. Let me tell you that when they moved my mother who had multiple sclerosis and then cancer, which was carcinoma of unknown origin, which means they did all the tests and they couldn't find, they couldn't say it's breast cancer, it's colon cancer. So they had no treatment for it. Because if you have breast or colon or whatever, you know, liver, lung, there's a treatment protocol for it. Because they could not find the origin riddled all over her body, they didn't have a treatment plan. And so they just put her on chemotherapy and radiation and all the things. Long story short, she went from hospital to hospice. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you that I did not know that hospice was where you went to die. Nobody told me that. So yes, I can blame my father because obviously he knew and he wasn't ready to tell me I, maybe he thought I understood. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's, it's hard. hard. But when I was there, the care that was given to her was end-of-life care, and what I thought it was was symptom and pain management, and I had no idea that it was end-of-life literally until she died. You could say I was in denial, and that's fine. Maybe Perhaps I was, but I literally did not know. I thought it was just a smaller hospital where she went for care. Because they were wonderful, because there was much more attention to her than there was in the hospital. We gave her nurse that was by her side, you know, 24 hours a day, our car, because she was there. And I understand it now, because she was an end-of-life care nurse, and she was very good at what she did, and I'm grateful that we did that. So we gave her my mom's car, but at the time... I just thought, oh, this was a place that you went to get better care. I swear to God, Food Hills Nation, you can think like, God, how naive were you? But I know that I'm not alone. There could be young, young people right now that have
1: no idea what's going on. No, I completely agree. Because quite honestly, I have a lot of these conversations with friends and family and most people don't know about advanced care planning or end of life. It's just, it's not talked about. And honestly, this is another component that's really interesting because like I was saying that a lot of clinicians don't get nutrition training. They Mm -hmm. also don't get end of life training, Mm -hmm. right? And so imagine if you're an oncologist, you know, you trained for years and years, but you never actually were trained in how to have these conversations, how to document these conversations. What's the importance of all of this? Because really, I'll give you a, an example. And it's rather depressing, but. Um, <laughs> That's I'm what like, we're going today. I'm like, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> but yeah, but honestly, a lot of patients, they don't know their prognosis because we're all humans, right? And so they're acting out of, trying to create hope for the patient and for their family and how to bring up this very difficult conversation of, you know, we are all mortal, and if we have a prognosis where we can say, this is, I predict, how much longer you have. Honestly, if you openly have those conversations with patients and their families, everyone appreciates it, right? It's tough, but they appreciate going through it because then you can have real conversations about, what are your goals? Do you want to be able to go see this or go do this? And then, then you're able to do that because then they treat you accordingly. Right. And then you learn about hospice and you learn what that means and you (laughs) learn about palliative and yeah. And so honestly, I think that patients and families deserve that. I think that's part of care. And so I think a lot of clinicians, since they haven't been trained, they are nervous to have that conversation or, or maybe they don't think about it. Right. And so we're sort of, shifting that paradigm as a culture um, to be able to train up docs and clinicians and give them more resources to be able to have the time and the ability to have the conversations with the patients and their families because what ends up happening if you don't is er visits and hospitalizations and a lot of really aggressive inpatient care um, and if you ask most people where they want to spend their last final months it's probably at home it's probably with their family it's probably with their friends and not necessarily in an out of a hospital getting sort of aggressive medical care. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And that's uh, the difference was when my mother passed away, she passed away in hospice. And my father, when he passed away after seeing my mother, it was just under two years later, he said, I don't want to pass away in hospice. I want to pass away at home. And so at that point, I was much more aware of A, the healthcare system, B, preventative medicine, and C, holistic modalities of healing, but it was too late for him because he was not willing to look at any of that or change any of that, but he was like, I wanna die at home, and he was able to make that decision cognitively, where I feel like my mother wasn't, but the fact that that existed for my dad actually gave me a lot of peace because he knew what he wanted and he got it.
1: Right? The other thing that happens is when you have all these hospitalizations is that then you have a care team inside the hospital who doesn't know you or know the, the family and, and has, has to start having the conversation, right? And that's a terrible time to start having that, right? right? And so I think giving people more awareness and education up front and just being more transparent, I think, is always a good thing. And I don't know if everyone knows or has heard of this, but Atul Gawande, he's a fantastic physician. He's written a book called Being Mortal. Ooh. I highly recommend it's a fantastic book and then he also did a a special i think it was pbs but if you just google being mortal atul gawande you'll find it and i mean you'll bawl your eyes out but it's it changes your view on everything about being mortal
0: okay well i can't wait (laughs) our fabulous show notes writer mel will put this in the show notes for us and then i will watch (laughs) (laughs) yeah you'll have to let me know Okay, thank you. You know, before we got started, I was telling you, before we started recording, anyways, I was telling you about my film production company and how we work in the social justice space. And we were kind of talking about how, unfortunately, sometimes, I'm not going to say sometimes, unfortunately, people of color and people in communities that are underserved are often much more (laughs) adversely affected by the systems and the policies in place. So can you talk a little bit about that and how we can overcome that because it is unacceptable?
1: Yeah. You know, I think from a... So there's you know, the way that I always view things, right, is health and then health care, yeah. right? And so I think from the health standpoint, I studied public health at Johns Hopkins. I absolutely am so fascinated by just systems and policies and how all these things work. But one of the things that we definitely focused on in the public health school was the built environment, right? And this concept of where people live and how that affects their health. And you're right, right? It's it's the type of neighborhood that you live in and the part of the city that you live in and the type of school that you go to and all these things that have such an effect on your Your zip code
0: can literally determine your life expectancy and it should not be that way.
1: Yeah, exactly. And then food deserts is a huge thing too. And so that has such an impact on health. And then from a healthcare standpoint... A lot of it feeds into the insurance coverage. Mm -hmm. So right now, like I was saying, we have that hodgepodge healthcare system where low income is on Medicaid, and then there's this gap, and so there's a lot of people who go uninsured. I honestly know plenty of people, even who you would think are relatively better off socioeconomically, who are still uninsured. There's freelancers, entrepreneurs, etc., but I think the uninsurance component has a huge impact but then also what health systems and doctors and folks who are there in the neighborhoods and have the clinics that these patients can go to and what type of care they're receiving it's sort of that same component as well
0: what drives you Megan like what makes you so passionate about this oh my gosh I am very passionate about this I know I can tell and I love it I absolutely love it but like I'm driven because like I'm so oh I'm still so hurt by what I went through. I went through so much trauma. That's what drives me. I just want to know like, what drives you to be like this beautiful person of so much information and
1: wellness and passion like. Thank you. No, honestly, I think um, this might be a silly answer, but I think it's empathy. I just feel what others are going through and I can put myself in someone else's shoes and say, Like that's unfair or like I feel for that person. I don't want them to have to go through that or experience that. And so I think there's just something about it where I feel like it's my duty. And there's been so many different experiences that I've had from health to health care, whether it's illnesses that we've had in my own family where there's a few of us who wouldn't be alive without modern medicine to the experiences that I've had working in the, in the health systems and seeing what people go through. And so I think just the, Concept of making sure that people are receiving high quality care, that they're healthy in the first place, so that we can avoid even having to go there, but that they receive high quality care and that it's affordable. I think that's another thing, too, where I empathize and just feel the pain is that as I help, so when open enrollment season comes around, you can bet everyone asks for help. Uh-huh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and um, just seeing what they have to pay, actually. This was a few months back when I was recording some videos here, a woman had stepped into the studio and after filming she came up to me and she said, you know, the timing is crazy. I was literally just on the phone with my mother last night and she was crying because it's going to cost $2,200 a month for her and her dad to have health insurance.
0: Oh my God.
1: Right? And it just breaks my heart that I'm like, can you imagine? And if you're at that age where you're, you know, young 60s, you can't get on Medicare yet, you have to pay for private insurance and that's what you have to pay. I mean, that's crippling, right? I think what you can do with $2,200 a month. right? And so I think it's just this empathy that drives me that I'm like, I need to fix this for people, (laughs) (laughs) you know? So you're clearly an empath.
0: I am too. I get it. It's very hard for us not to feel the feelings of those around us, and when it's health, you feel so passionately like, I want to help you in any way that I can. And I appreciate that and acknowledge that about you.
1: Thank you. Did right back at you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Thank you. Well, I don't want to get political, but I want to know why are other countries doing it so much better than us and what can we learn from them And not who should we vote for, Democrat, Republican, I don't care, but what kind of healthcare system should we vote for?
1: Yes. Oh, that's such a good way to put it too, because I completely agree where it's like, I wish we could just take the politics out of healthcare and really focus on what's best for the people. Yeah. So unfortunately, the way that our healthcare system was built, it's the history of it that's made it where we are today, right? And so it was back when we started with health insurance, it was employer-based, right? And so as the employer we're adding it as an extra benefit and then it kept rolling and being employer based. And you can imagine that left out so many different groups of people. Then if you're only insuring the employed, it's like anyone who's not working, you know, or who works freelance, entrepreneur, contracting, what have you, they're out of insurance essentially. Right. And so we started building these different systems and we ultimately had the Affordable Care Act to try and fix that. And so it's just sort of like all these little fixes along the way from a healthcare expert standpoint truly like the most logical system is one with universal coverage and making sure that everyone has insurance because like i said before people will avoid care that is needed mm-hmm. if they don't have insurance uh, and it ends up costing more right? right and so and i think just getting people to understand that we all pay for the health insurance system right regardless of whether you have it or not or what have you we're paying for everyone to receive care right because if you don't have insurance you end up in the er and then you're actually receiving more expensive care you could have gone i tell people this all the time imagine so if hospitalization is 10 grand a day think about how many visits to the doctor you could have done yeah <laughs> To avoid that hospitalization, right? And Prevention. so Yeah, and so I think just having universal coverage for everyone is a very cost effective way. And honestly just a little kind of not to go too far into what Medicare is, but Medicare does drive the right incentives for folks from a big picture standpoint because we have two options through Medicare. So there's fee for service Medicare, which is the traditional Medicare, and then we have Medicare Advantage, which is basically where the federal government farms out the insurance to private insurers, Mm -hmm. right? And so, but either way, the incentives are aligned to reduce healthcare costs. So when you think about something where it's like if we went to a Medicare system, we would still have, you'd basically have an option of a public option or a private option, but everyone would be covered, right? And then the incentives would be aligned that when you have a system like that, for example, it's called Medicare Advantage when it's farmed out to the private insurers, they are then incentivized to keep you healthy and reduce healthcare costs. And that's a good thing, right? That's a good thing for all of us. And so there's definitely, I think we're pushing in the right direction towards universal coverage and some of the ideas. I think there's a lot of nuances to the ideas that are out there, but I'm always happy to have more conversation once there's conversation to be had on (laughs) what's out there. Well, Food Heals Nation knows that I'm a huge fan of prevention and
0: holistic healing modalities and changing your diet if you are sick. But if someone's listening right now and they're like, I don't trust the U.S. healthcare system, should they move to France? Should they move to Canada? (laughs) Or should they stick around? Like, are things changing? Where are we going? Oh, my
1: gosh. I mean, (laughs) I hope they wouldn't just uproot their lives and go, (laughs) like, I'm getting out of here. I know people that did when Trump was elected, (laughs) they moved to
0: Canada. (laughs)
1: Valid, valid. Fingers crossed. There's a lot of us who are going to fight to create a healthcare system that's right for everyone, from the standpoint of, from a healthcare expert standpoint, and not necessarily these sort of political battles. So there's, we're fighting. There's a group of us out there for the right things. Um, I know. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, you're right. I mean, there's other countries. I think one of the things too that. The mindset has to shift a little bit if we're going to push towards universal coverage of this idea, because I think everyone's kind of scared of the idea of increasing taxes. But truly, when you think about how much money we spend currently, so for I'll give you an example. At my last employer we paid between my own funds and their funds we paid about a thousand dollars a month for me to have health insurance right and so you can think about what percentage of your income i would encourage anyone to go look most people don't know i've done polls before and asked friends you know like how much are you spending on health insurance and what percentage of your take-home pay is that and most people don't know and so then they go look and then they realize it's actually really high right so you can imagine if we switched that to being a tax as opposed to the amount remember i told you about like the 2200 per month like think about what percentage of their income that is way um, so, too much yeah and so honestly if we push for universal coverage it will bring costs down for a myriad of reasons that we can go through another time um but then it's shifting this mindset in the u.s of being okay with paying a tax instead of paying out of pocket for really expensive insurance so
0: and the cheapest way to do it food Hills nation
1: you already know Everyone can
0: guess what I'm going to say, but the cheapest way to do prevention is to eat your fruits and vegetables. Yes. It's to not smoke. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Like exercise. Don't smoke. Like surround yourself with wonderful people who bring you joy. Mm -hmm. Get the toxins out of your kitchen. Get them out of your, you know, home care products. Get them out of your facial care. Do as much as you can on your own, and all of this will not be as expensive for you. However, that being said, (laughs) that is something to strive for at all times that I'm constantly striving for, but I've seen it with my own family that sometimes that wasn't enough. Well, we didn't do any of those things. So there are times when your uncle, aunt, mom, dad, sister, brother are not doing all those things. They're not eliminating the toxins. They're not eating a clean diet. They're not doing their fruits and vegetables. They're not doing smoothies, soups, you know, healing foods on a regular basis. They're having bad habits all of the time. So
1: when you're at that point, this is when you need to look up Megan. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. No, I think it's so important. I completely agree with all those components. I mean, really, I wish I could just help empower people to feel that they can do all of these things. And so I think one of the things like I was mentioning, like in the six-week program and things like that, we're helping people with the tools in order to be able to do these things in their life. Because I think sometimes people feel overwhelmed or they feel like they're lacking the knowledge and being able to give them tools that other people utilize sort of like crowdsourcing best ideas right oh and God, like finding I a, that. <laughs> yeah, finding what works for you but having someone who's there along with you like a coach who can give you feedback and can say great job and you know and that you're not in it alone knowing that all of us are, are working to achieve our greatest health so
0: tell us about your b2b program
1: Yeah. So this is something we're really proud of. So it's called For the Mind. And again, it sits in this concept of how can we help individuals live their happiest, healthiest lives. And one of the huge components is mental health, right? Yes. Yes. And so there's actually just some pretty sad stats about access to mental health. Currently, so it's about one in four of us will go through some sort of behavioral health at some point in our lives. And ultimately, we all deserve some sort of help, right? But there's a huge shortage Mm -hmm. of therapists and access to therapy. I know one local health system in here in LA, you have to wait about four months to get in
0: oh my god
1: yeah and so really what we wanted to develop was again this focus on prevention but truly helping people where they need it most and so we created video content with toolkits to focus on these different areas to support individuals in self-care, in the event that they either can't access therapy, whether that's because they don't want to or because of the cost or stigma or any of these other barriers that people might feel to seeking care, it allows them to watch these videos in their own time and really feel empowered, feel supported in dealing with these on their own, whether they want to seek individualized therapy additionally or just stick with these tools.
0: You know, mental health is something that I am extremely passionate about but i feel like was left off the table when i was first getting into this when i was first introduced to the healthcare system it wasn't talked about yeah um not only did the doctors not talk about it my parents didn't want to talk about it And how much of the mental health is a contributing factor to chronic and debilitating
1: disease? It is a huge factor. Exactly. It is such a big factor. And then if you already have some sort of physical ailment, then if you have mental health ailments along with that as well, then it's so much harder to even to be taking care of yourself or taking your meds or going to your appointments and things like that. It's so important that honestly, and there's preventative mental health too, that it's like we can help empower people and... And there's so many different components that go into that, whether it's managing anxiety, stress management, relationships, managing conflict. So we address all of these different components because that's real life, right? Real life is hard and (laughs) we all have to deal. And so we wanted to create a program that truly empowers people. And so currently the program is only we're working with organizations to implement the program, but hopefully we'll have a consumer-based program coming up soon.
0: Oh, congratulations. Thank you for that. Like it's so so needed. And like I know for me, like I went through the phases. Like you know how there's seven stages of grief, which I didn't know about until like I lost people and I went through trauma and I realized, "Oh my god, I have to heal myself." Mm-hmm. So, I go through seven stages of grief and trauma healing. Then I do food or or I don't remember the order. I think I did food first, then I did trauma healing, whatever. But when I went to see the doctor, the Only solution that the doctor had for me was here is a pill. This drug will make you not feel your feelings. And ladies and gentlemen, you know from the Food Heals podcast that you have to feel it to heal it. You know that we have to acknowledge our feelings that we have to cry, because when we release those feelings, we get to a place of peace. We know that we cannot stuff it down. And mental health is just as important as physical health. So physical health will often, you know, it'll give us a symptom. Oh my God, I'm in so much pain. So we immediately have to go to the doctor and heal the pain. But when we have an emotional pain, we're not immediately going to find a solution for that. We're suppressing it, whether it's through food, whether it's through drugs or Well, and physical pain is from emotional pain. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, girl, you knew where I was. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Yes, So then it physically manifests itself in a leg pain that you didn't even know you had because you haven't dealt with your emotional pain. So Mm -hmm. you get it. It's all cyclical. But the point is, is that prevention is key. But when we have it, there are ways that we can come back from it holistically, medically, whatever it may be. And we've got to educate ourselves because otherwise we're paying into a system that's not going to take care of us. We're losing all our money and then we are not as healthy as we could be. And I'm a fan of doing all of the things to be as healthy as possible.
1: I completely agree. Yeah, because and that's sort of where I came from when I was first developing healthcare transformation is that while the system is sort of broken right where you're not getting this help on how to be healthy physically you're not necessarily getting the help you need to address anything mental that we wanted to create programming that truly helps people where they're at so it's through video content it's online it gets to you but it's a human speaking to you and um a real person yeah i know i was like i'm very (laughs) anti-animation like we need human human to human contact now
0: friendly so that's good
1: thank you But yeah, so I think now more than ever that people need more human and social connection. And so that's how we develop our video content, too. So.
0: I love it. Well, where can everyone watch your videos, find you online, stalk you on Instagram?
1: (laughs) All the things. So our website is caretransformation.net Our handles are healthcare transformation on Instagram and care transformation on Facebook. Also have YouTube so you can search care transformation or Megan Neckerbecky. you should find us and you'll be able to see videos, content, um, be able to subscribe to the website and you can stay up to date with all the things that we're doing. All the things. Yeah, so.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh. Thank you so So much for being here today and all that. Thank you for having me. (laughs) (laughs) Of course,
1: I'm happy to help however I can. So, you're the best. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Side effects of this podcast may include increased health and vitality, thoughts of living longer, developing a more positive outlook on life. In rare cases, women have experienced a strong desire to stop asking their boyfriends if they look fat in this dress. If you experience any of these symptoms, post a selfie to Instagram immediately.